0: want to continue our series that we've been on for the last few weeks, uh, fellowship. And I hope it's been a blessing to you and hope that uh, it's helped you grow and your understanding of what fellowship is and challenge you to go to another level in terms of your fellowship as well. Um, Father, we just honor you and thank you for this day and your faithfulness to us. I pray that I decrease and you increase, Lord. Let us hear your word and not mine. Um, You're a good God.
1: We give our life
0: to you. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. In Acts chapter 2, verses 41 and 42, we've read these verses the last few weeks says, then those who gladly received his word, him being Peter, were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayer. And so today I want to study the special attention that the early church gave to breaking of bread. Um, We've talked a little bit about how breaking of bread is not a meal or food or, you know, some casual, you know, let's get together for dinner. Breaking the bread is actually the communion, the communion meal um, where we're remembering all the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross. Because his work on the cross is what allows us to have eternal life. Amen? So when when they gave special attention to breaking of the bread, they were they were were entering into communion, what we call communion, Uh as a reminder of the work that Jesus Christ did. And the new uh, covenant that he is establishing, or that he did establish, I should say, by that work. Uh, Communion is what I call a covenant meal. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. But a covenant meal is one that is really designed to either establish a new covenant or to memorialize or to remember a covenant that has been established already. Amen? Amen. We have Memorial Day that we, that we celebrate here in America, and that's remembering our soldiers who have fought and, and died uh, for the freedoms that we have. Well, covenant, our, our covenant meal, which we call communion, should be a memorializing meal as well. Amen? So I want to read from Genesis chapter 14, but before we do that, I need to give you a little backstory. Um, because Abraham is a faithful and godly man, and he's a very wealthy and powerful man, but he, and he has his nephew named Lot. And Lot is uh, taken captive. There's these two um, confederations of kings, right? One confederation of five kings, another of four and the four kings defeat the five and they take Lot and his stuff and, and the people of his, his country, they take them all captive. And someone comes and tells Abraham, hey, your, your nephew Lot has been taken captive. So what Abraham does is he gets his 318 trained men and three of his boys. And he says, we're going after them in the name of Jesus, we're in the name of the Lord. And the Bible tells us that they recovered all. They recovered everything. Think about this, that a a group of four kings defeated five kings. And Abraham takes 318 trained men and three of his closest buddies and goes after them and recovers all. Talk about the power of unity. Talk about the power of, of humility and the ability God has to work through us if we'll just trust him and be submitted to his will. And so Abraham recovers all and on his way back from this, this defeat or this victory, I should say, he meets a mysterious character named Melchizedek. And we'll pick it up there in Genesis chapter 14, verse 18. It says, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was, pre, he was the priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he, Abram, gave him, Melchizedek, a tithe of all. You might be thinking, what does this have to do with communion? Well, I'm glad you asked because we're going to get into this. But let me just give you a little backstory here. Melchizedek, it says that he's king of Salem. Salem means peace or righteousness. In fact, when we read in the book of Hebrews, it talks about Melchizedek being the, the king of righteousness, right? Or, or, and and we, once again, it means peace or righteousness. So we know someone else who is the king of peace, the king of righteousness. His name is Jesus, right? Salem also was an early name for the city of Jerusalem, right? So he's the king of Jerusalem. Where where will Jesus' throne be set up on the earth? In Jerusalem, right? It says that he was priest of God most high. Wait a minute, I thought he was a king. Well he is. Well then I thought he was a priest. Well he is. He's he's both. He's both king and priest. Jesus is both king and high priest. Amen? Amen. And so this Melchizedek, he meets Abram as he's on his way back from this victory, and he brings out once again this covenant meal. Let's read verses 19 again. Or I'm sorry, verse 18 again. It said Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine, for he was priest of God most high. Now, this Melchizedek was so great that Abram, who would become Abraham, gave him a tithe all. This is the first time in the scripture that the word tithe is used. Tithe simply means tenth right? And when we talk about tithing to the Lord, it's the first 10th. It's not like, let me pay all my bills and save some money, and then I got 10% left over. I'll give that to God. That's an offering. A tithe is, Lord, I've made a thousand dollars. The first hundred is going to you. So Abram gives Melchizedek a tenth or a tithe of all. So when people try to tell you, well, tithing is not for today or tithing is an Old Testament deal, it, 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 was, it was established. We see this before the law ever came in. Right. So the fulfillment of the law can't do away with it. And even more than that, the tithe is really about worship and thanksgiving to God. We don't tithe because of a law. We tithe because we recognize who God is and what He has done in our lives, and as a as 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 thanks thankfulness and and praise to Him, we give a tenth, the first tenth of all that He has blessed us with. Amen. Amen. So, what is a covenant? I'm just laying some foundation here, and and it'll make sense as I keep going. A covenant is a compact made. By passing through pieces of flesh. Right? It's a compact made by passing through pieces of flesh. Now, I want to say this about covenant they're not easily broken, and you should not easily enter into one. Right? We've been talking about being unequally yoked. You don't get into covenant with someone that you're not equally yoked with because it's not easy to break covenant. Covenant is designed to be forever, right? At least for a lifetime, let me put it that way. And so it's a compact made by passing between pieces of flesh. We don't want to enter into covenant easy because it's the highest level of relationship that you can enter into. Now, God is about to enter into covenant with Abram. But before he enters into covenant, he sends his priest, Melchizedek, with the covenant meal of bread and wine. Now, remember I told you, when we're breaking bread, which we call communion, we're remembering a covenant that we have entered into. We're not establishing it because it's been established, but we're memorializing it. We're remembering it. Does that make sense? And so God is about to enter into covenant with Abram. Let's keep reading in Genesis chapter 15, starting in verse 1. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid. Abram, I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. Then Abram said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him, God brought Abram outside and said, look towards the heavens and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And he, Abram, believed the Lord, and the Lord accounted it to Abram for righteousness. This is powerful. That God shows up to Abram, and it's it's interesting how he shows up in 15. He comes and he says, Abram, don't be afraid, right? I'm your shield and and I'm your exceedingly great reward. Why does he have to tell Abram not to be afraid? I think because Abram just defeated these kings and he's thinking, what have I just done? And what is going to be the backlash of this thing? Because sometimes what can happen is you can get under the anointing of God and you can function and flow in a boldness and and the power of the spirit. And then once the the anointing subsides, you can say, um, um, I don't know if that was smart. And you can start to think about all the backlash that can come from that thing that you've done under the anointing. And so the Lord has to show up to Abram and say, relax, I'm with you. I'm your shield. I will protect you. I am your exceedingly great reward. Now, I love Abram. He's like, I'm not going to let this chance go by. He says, but Lord, what you going to give me since I'm childless? I'm already blessed. And you're saying you're you're my exceedingly great reward. I have no one to pass all this on to. Like there's a young slave born in my house that's going to be my heir. He's going to inherit all this. And the Lord says, nah, no. One's going to come from your own body. And Abram's like, really? Not like doubting God, but like, Excited, like, really? He says, come here, come come here. Step outside your tent, right? And look to the sky. You see all those stars, count them. If you're able, which we know you can't, your descendants will be like that. And Abram's like, all right, Lord let's do this. Amen? Amen. I mean, where are the people of God that will believe God for the impossible? Right? Where are the people of God that will stop looking at the ceiling and ascribing that for the limitation in terms of what God can do in their life that will come out of their place of limitation and look beyond what is hanging over their head to what God has created And say, if he's done that, he can do this for me. Amen? Amen. So God makes this promise to Abram about what he's going to do. And Abram believes him. But God takes it a step further. We're going to keep reading in verse 7 of Genesis 15. Then he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land who inherited. Now, let me just stop there. The Lord is, because you have to understand, in this day and age and in this culture, there were many different gods that people worshiped. Even Abraham with his father in Ur, they were idol makers, right? Jewish tradition tells us that Abram and his family, they worshiped the moon god. And so God's just given Abram this great promise. And he says, And Abram believes him and he says, now let me remind you of who I am. I am Jehovah. Right? Not the moon God. Not the the Nile God. Not the sun God. I am the self-existing one. I am eternal. I've always been. I always will be. Right? Right? You need to understand who's speaking to you right now, Abraham, not the moon God, not some piece of wood that people are bowing down to worship. I'm the one who has created and hold everything together that you can see. And I'm the one that called you out of Ur of the Chaldeans. Remember, you heard that voice saying, get out of your country and from your kindred and from your father's house to a land that was was me, Jehovah, the self-existent one the eternal God. And then he says, all this land I'm going to give to you as an inheritance. And you really should at some point in time, I I should have put this picture up there, but I don't have it. But you should kind of do some research in terms of what the size of the land was that Abraham was promised and what the size of the land was that they actually inherited because it's significantly smaller than what was promised based off of the boundary lines that the Lord laid out when he told Abram what his his family is going to inherit. And I think about that. I'm saying, Lord, how many things, how, 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 how limited is your blessing on my life because of my own disobedience? Because the Lord has Abram walk in this land and Abram's a faithful man, but his children weren't. His offspring wasn't. They couldn't believe God. They saw the giants in the land and they, they walked in fear, right. right? Let me get back on track. Verse eight, and he said, Lord God, how shall I know that, you will, that I will inherit it? And he said to him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer. That's, that's not like your neighbor that gets on your nerves, <laughs> right? Maybe only us black folks know what I'm talking about. My mom and aunt, they used to call women heifers. That heifer? Right? So I don't know. Anyway, I digress. So he said, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him and cut them in two down the middle and placed each piece opposite the other. But he did not cut the birds into, and when, he, and when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. I, I want to show a picture here. Andrew, if you could put that first picture up. It's kind of hard to see, but this is kind of what that looks like. Up in the top right-hand corner is, is supposed Abram, and this is the animals that he has basically slaughtered and, and laid them on each side. You can see there's the the, the blood trail there, because covenant relationships are established through blood. Right. Right? Think about every covenant. There's not there's not a lot of covenant level relationships, but but there are a few. Right. Like like the relationship which you have with your parents. That's a relationship that established through blood. Right. right? Your marriage. That's a covenant level relationship. There's there's blood or should be blood that establishes that, from when a virgin and a man come together. There's, there's a shedding of blood, That's right? right? Um, our relationship with Christ, that is established by the shedding of his blood. And so, so this is a picture of what it looks like to what the Bible calls cut covenant. Mm-hmm. You cut these animals in half, you lay them opposite of each other, and two parties walk through that scenario As if to say, if I do not fulfill my part of this covenant, Johanna, may I be like these animals. May I be like these slain animals. That's really what's going on here. And so Abram, remember, he asked the question, how will I know that I will inherit this? And the Lord says, go get me some animals. Abram knows exactly what's going on because he's a covenant man. He understands that. Um, I remember when I was a kid, my best friend, his name was Greg, and I had been watching something goofy on TV. That's why you got to watch what your kids watch. And uh, in this show, these boys cut their finger yep. and they did a blood covenant. We're blood brothers. Yep. And I remember coming to Greg and saying, man, like we should do that, right? Because we're like, best friends and we'll be friends forever. And we're just about to cut our fingers and Greg says, "Wait, what if one of us has AIDS?" And I was like, "You're right, bro. Never mind, we ain't doing that." You know what I'm saying? But I'm so thankful. I truly believe that was the the, the Lord stepping in in that situation. Because I would have entered into an unholy covenant with this young man. Right? You don't enter into covenant easy. You don't enter into, into covenant with everybody because there is an exchanging of blood. We don't enter into coven, covenants flippantly, right? I remember Stacey and I got married and one of, the, one, of the, one of her mother's friends came up to us in the little receiving line. Well, if it doesn't work, it's practice. I'm like, get your crazy tail away from me, Right? but she's been married three or four times. And I'm not casting stones at someone that's been married three or four times. I'm just saying, that's not what I want my story to be. Right? So don't, on the day that I enter into covenant with this woman, start talking to me about my second marriage. Now, here's the other thing we have to understand about covenant. Let's put, still, is this cutting out? Verse 11, it says, because Abram's laid out these animals, right? And it says, and when the vultures came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. I start to get a video to show y'all what this looks like. Because I love National Geographic. And I was like, nah, someone going to be mad at me if I show that. But for those of you that can stomach it, you should go to like YouTube and just Google vultures, right? Because this wasn't like two or three birds. Vultures are like 20, 30, 50, and they're aggressive, man. And when Abram's fighting these off, it's not like it was a little robin that he's like, shoo. He has to literally fight them off. But that's something we have to understand about covenant level relationships. We may have to fight for them. In fact, let me just tell you the truth. We're going to have to fight to establish them or to maintain them. I say, because the enemy doesn't want us to enter into covenant. See, if these vultures just eat it up, Abram could have just let them eat up the, the, eat up the carcasses. And then when the Lord shows up, say, hey, I mean the vultures. But Abram's saying, no, I want Covenant. And so I'm going to fight off everything that is trying to get in the way of me entering into this covenant, this strong agreement with my God. So we got to fight for our marriages. We got to fight for our children. You children, you need to fight for your relationship with your parents. Right. We got to fight for our relationship with Jesus Christ. I know what you're thinking. What does this have to do with breaking bread? It's going to be good when we get back to that. But I have to lay the foundation here. So let's keep reading in verse 12 of Genesis 15. It says, that when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. And he said to Abram, "Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in the land that is not theirs, and will serve them, and they will afflict them 400 years, and also the nation whom you whom they uh, serve, I will judge." Afterward, they will come out with great possessions. Now, as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And it came to pass, when the sun went down and it was dark, that, behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Put, put up the next picture for me, because this is like a, a picture of what it may have looked like. And I don't, you know, I don't think it's super accurate, right? Because when we talk about a burning oven and a torch, it's, it's the presence of God, right. a thick, dark cloud, Right. It's, it's the glory of God that came and passed through those pieces of the animals. Now, I said to you, covenant is when two parties enter through that. Right? But in this scenario, only the presence of the Lord went through. God is making covenant with Abram right now. It's a covenant of protection. It's a covenant of provision and blessing. And it's a covenant of inheritance, right? Because the Lord said, I'm your shield, your exceedingly great reward. And he said, you're going to inherit this land. Abram, how do I know this is going to happen? Right? Bring me the animals. I'm going to pass through here. So God is saying, this is so sure. What I've promised you is so sure that may I as God be like one of these animals if I don't bring it to pass. Abram, you don't need to walk through here. First of all, covenant is entered, to, entered into by two equal parties. You ain't nowhere close to me, right? In fact, the scripture tells us that God looked for someone greater than himself by whom he could make a promise and couldn't find any. Uh, Hebrews, um, Hebrews chapter, chapter 6, verse 13, it says, and when God made a promise to Abraham, Because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself. That's why only God passed through the animals. Because there's no one greater. There's no one on his level that could have walked through with him. So it's like, it's going to happen, Abram. It's kind of like what he said to Moses. Remember when the Lord was calling Moses, Doc, to go back to Israel and set the people free? And Moses like, how will I know you will do this? And the Lord says, here's how you'll know. After you do what I've told you to do, You're going to come back on this mountain and worship me. It's like, well, what kind of sign is that? Like, show me something before I go. But the Lord is saying, no, this is so sure because of who I am. It ain't got nothing to do with who you are, Moses. This ain't got nothing to do with who you are, Abraham. This is all about who I am. It's so sure, Moses, that I'm telling you, you're going to worship me on this mountain with the nation of Israel after you go. It's the same thing with Abram. It's so short. I don't need you to pass through these animals because I'm going to do it. All you need to do is believe. Amen. Amen. So this covenant of protection and blessing and inheritance, it was preceded by this covenant meal between Abram and Melchizedek. Only God passed through the bloody flesh because there's no one equal to him. God is doing all the heavy lifting in His covenant with Abram. God is doing all the heavy lifting lifting in His covenant with you and I. We have the easy part, believing. That's it. Well will God heal? just believe. Will God prefer? just believe? right? Just trust in him. Because his promises are sure. Now, I want us to look now at the new covenant that you and I are blessed by. And we'll start to tie this all together. In John chapter six, Jesus says in verse 53, most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man, And drink his blood you have no life in you whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life not will have not will receive now you have it and i will raise him up at the last day verse 55 for my flesh is food indeed and my blood is drink indeed So this new covenant that we are a part of or that we get to be blessed by is a covenant of restored relationship with God and eternal life. But like Abram, we have to enter into it with God through faith. We have to realize he can do this. If he said he can do it, I'm going to trust him. And when we ha- position our hearts to be that way, because it can't just be our mouth. I trust God, but in your heart, you really don't. He's looking at the heart. Right. So when we position our heart in a place of trust and faith, the Lord says, righteous. Mm-hmm. Righteous, eternal life. Now, not in the future, now. Amen. Right? You're as dead as you're ever going to be right now. Right. No, I'm serious. Think about that. You're as dead as you're ever going to be right now. We don't even know life until we get on the other side of this life. Then we start to really understand life when we pass from living to dead, which I say we're passing from dying to living. Amen. Amen? Amen. So this is a covenant of restored relationship and eternal life. We have to enter into it with faith, just like Abraham. Now I want to go back to this covenant meal because we're talking about communion. And I want to start to tie this all together. Let's read again verses 54 and 55. It says, Jesus says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up in the last days for my flesh is food indeed and my blood is drink indeed, right? So he, his flesh is bread. His blood is wine, What was it that Melchizedek brought out? Bread and wine. Thank you. Mark was listening. I don't know about the rest of y'all, but Mark was. Melchizedek brought out bread and wine. Why? Because this is a covenant meal that God is about to enter into covenant with you, Abram. And it's going to be a powerful covenant that only God can fulfill. Your responsibility only is to believe that he can do what he said he can do. So now thousands of years later, here's Jesus say, eat my flesh and drink my blood. My flesh is is bread indeed or food indeed. And my blood is drink indeed. He's not talking about cannibalism. That's not what Jesus is getting at. These people are so naturally minded that they can't understand the spiritual principle that Jesus is teaching here. That eternal life and blessing and restored relationship is only found in me laying down my life and pouring out my blood to establish a new covenant. That's the reason why the night that Jesus is going to about to go to the cross, what did he have with his disciples? Communion. They had a communion meal. Why? Because I am about to establish a new covenant. Just as Melchizedek brought out bread and wine and had it with Abram before God established that the Abrahamic covenant, I am going to have bread and wine with you because I'm about to go to the cross. And when I when my blood is poured out and I rise from the grave, there's going to be a new covenant that you get to be blessed by. So when we receive communion, we're remembering the life, the death, the resurrection of Christ. And that now, because of what he did, and my faith is in that, I have restored relationship with God. I'm blessed. Right? If you have a relationship with Christ, you're blessed. I don't care what the world tells you. You're blessed. You have everything you need. Right? When God says to Moses, and Moses says, who, who will I tell them you are? Tell them I am. Well, what does that mean, God? I am everything and all you need when you need everything and all that you need. So when you need peace, come to me. When you need wisdom, come to me. You need healing? Come to me. You need understanding and knowledge and truth? Come to me. You need provision? Come to me. Because I am. You are what? What do you need? Right? So his flesh is bread. His blood is wine. And like the father's covenant with Abraham, Jesus did all the work. There's no one else that can provide eternal life for you and I. No one else. I don't care what they promise. I don't care what they say. I don't, I don't, I don't care. I just don't. It doesn't matter. Only Jesus can do that for us. Amen. Amen. Now, when the first century church broke bread, right, because they gave special attention to the apostles doctrine and fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer. So when the first century church broke bread, they were not establishing again this covenant, but they're remembering or once again, memorializing the work that Jesus Christ did that has established this covenant that you and I get to be blessed by, that they got to be blessed by. Amen. Amen. So that's why we receive communion. Because when we take that bread, it represents the body of Jesus that was broken. When we drink that juice, it represents his blood that was poured out to do what? Establish a new covenant. Why? Because covenant requires the breaking of flesh and the shedding of blood. Let's put the picture of the the animals back up here for me. Not that one, the other one. Thank you. This was pointing to Jesus. That the flesh was broken so that the blood can be poured out and Abram and his descendants can enter into a new covenant with God. When Jesus is hanging on that cross, actually, when they're beating him and then they hang him on the cross and they pierce him, his flesh is being broken. And his blood is being poured out to establish this new covenant that you and I get to be blessed by. Amen. This is good. I wish I could preach this as excited as I feel it in my spirit. So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I want to start reading in verse 17 through 26 because I want us to see, okay, what? How does this play out for us today? And there's a lot of good things that the first or that the church in Corinth did, but they also had some issues. And uh, I also want to clear up some bad doctrine that's being taught in the church about communion, right? And so let's let's just get into this. I won't take long. First Corinthians chapter eleven verse seventeen says, "Now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better but for the worse." This is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. And he says, for, for first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you and in part... For there must... Is this? Okay. For there must also be factions um, among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place... Is it not to eat the Lord's Supper? For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of the other. And one is hungry and the other is drunk. What? (laughs) Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. Now, let me just stop here for a second to explain what's going on here. When they received communion, it was different from us, right? We have these little cups over here and it's they really had a meal, like what Jesus did with his disciples. It was over a meal. But some were coming to that meal like starving, like I'm just let me fill my belly, gluttony. You know? And and others are coming drunk or to get drunk. And he's like, "What are you doing?" Like like are you despising the, the, the bread or the, the body and the blood of Christ. He's like, I don't praise you in this at all. You're tripping, right? I think, I think there's a translation that says that. <laughs> He's like, I don't praise you. I'm not praising you for this because you're out of order. You're out of order and God is a God of order. So let's keep reading 23. Uh, for I received from the Lord. So now, now is about to give them how they should receive communion or break bread. For I received from the Lord, that which I also delivered to you, the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Remember, communion is a memorial or remembrance of Jesus. Verse 25, in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So Paul is saying, you're tripping with the way you're doing it now. Let me show you how you should do it. And I received this directly from God. So I believe that the Lord showed Paul what happened on that night that Jesus had communion with the disciples. Because he's laying it out. You know, he took the cup and then after, he, you know, after supper, he took the And so do this in remembrance of me. He's telling us communion, breaking of bread is about remembering me. And what I've done in the covenant that you are able to enter into by faith. I, Jesus, did all the heavy lifting, just like our father did all the heavy lifting to establish the Abrahamic covenant. All you have to do, Sandy, is believe. All you have to do, Janine, is believe. Jamel, Megan, Elijah, all you have to do is believe. He's done all the work. Think about that church. So that now, when we come together to receive communion, we see the picture of it in the Old Testament. And we now better understand the reason why we're doing it today under the new covenant. That it's a, something for us to sit there and think and consider our own selves and where we would be apart from Jesus doing the heavy lifting. What is the blessing that I get to walk in because Jesus did the heavy lifting? I have restored relationship with my heavenly father because Jesus did the heavy lifting. Amen. Right? Yeah. Good. We're, it, this is not just some church thing that we do. Right, right. Well, what's, what's communion all about? It's just something you do at church once a month. Or if you're Catholic or I think Lutherans too, they do it every Sunday right? Now we're remembering the Lord when we take that bread and we drink that cup. We should be considering where our lives would be had Jesus not laid down his life, right? Because think about it. Abram, Abram, he's childless. Yes, I'm blessed, and I feel I have this great anointing on my life, but what's the point One of my slaves is going to inherit it. And the Lord says, I'm about to enter into covenant with you. I know you're old and your wife is old, but I'm God. I'm Jehovah, the self-existent one, the eternal God. You may be limited, but I'm not. Right? So it is with Jesus. You and I are limited, but he's not. So when I receive communion, I'm remembering what he did and rejoicing in the blessing of the new covenant and the restored relationship with my father. And it's a reminder to me to always walk by faith, trusting in God, no matter what it looks like. Amen. Amen. I want to read a couple more verses and I'll close because I want to clear up some bad teaching about communion that we see taught in the body of Christ. So I'm closing. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Doc. (laughs) Otherwise, I'll be here another 50 minutes. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11 starting in verse 27. It says, therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat the bread and drink the cup. For he who eats and drinks in a manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this this reason, many are weak and sick among you and many sleep or have died. For if you would judge yourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned uh, with the world. Verse 33, therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at his house that's me. It says, eat at home. Lest you come together for judgment, and the rest I will set in order when I come. Now, here's what I want to clear up because I've met multiple people who are like terrified of receiving communion because they don't know if their whole life is put together right, and I don't want to receive communion in an unworthy manner and heap judgment and condemnation and damnation on me. I'm going to receive communion and I got some sin stuff going on and it's going to lead me to hell because I had communion while I have sin in my life. Stop it. Stop it. That's bad teaching. So when he says, whoever eats his bread and drinks his cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the blood, the body and the blood of the Lord. Unworthy means in an irreverent manner. It has nothing to do with the sin that is going on in your life that you're trying to overcome. It's, man, let's, we going to church today because they have a communion and they're going to have that food there and we can get full and we can get drunk and it can just be a party. Irreverent. Sometimes we have communion. I see and don't like get, you know, I'm not, I'm not casting stones anymore, but I can see people who don't go receive communion. I'm thinking, are they concerned that they're receiving this in an unworthy manner and they're heaping judgment on themselves? That's not what it's about. When we receive communion with we lacking reverence for what Jesus did, that's a problem. If we had communion over a meal like they did in the biblical times and you were coming to get drunk and to just stuff your face full of food, that's that's what brings judgment. But communion, if you got sin in your life and we all do, communion should be a reminder that I can be free. I don't need to be perfect to take this because then no one can take it, right? Right? I don't need to be perfect to take this. In fact, when I take it, it's a reminder that I have relationship with God and that his blessing is upon my life and that I can get over this issue, these challenges that I'm having. So we don't need to receive communion out of, with, with fear. Man, I just, let me try to remember all my sin and confess it before I take this bread. And no, man. Absolutely examine yourself. God, I got this sin issue going on and I know you died on the cross for me to be free. I pray for your grace to help me get free. Give me wisdom to help me get free. So the early church gave special attention to breaking the bread. They memorialized what Jesus did on the cross to establish the covenant that you and I walk in. And I think that's important because we never want to get to a place where we're arrogant or where we're not thankful or where we're not really contemplating where we could be apart from Jesus. Right? It's like I used to say to my wife, you know, when our kids were younger, it's like, man, these... these, these doggone kids don't appreciate nothing I do. Work hard for them; they don't appreciate any of it. And uh, the Lord said to me one day, like, "Cause you've always been there, right? Like, like you give special attention to what you think you're doing that makes you a good dad, cause you didn't have a dad. And so sometimes when we just we have something, it we can take it for granted." is my point. And so when we receive communion here in a few minutes, we need to recognize this is not this covenant that I'm in, this relationship that I have, this blessing that is upon my life, I can never take it for granted because it didn't have to be this way. And even though the work has been done, there's those in your life, in this community maybe even sitting in this church or watching online who have not entered into relationship because they don't trust Jesus. But you do. Amen. So here's what I want to do. I want to ask our ushers to get in place. You know, it is the first Sunday of the month and we like to receive communion on that first Sunday, but I wanted to wait until after this teaching. Because I'm hoping that I did a good enough job of teaching this, that it maybe gives you some better insight on what we're about to participate in. Once again, by us receiving this covenant meal that we call communion, we're not establishing the covenant. We're remembering it. It's already been established. When Jesus had... When Jesus had this meal with his disciples the day before he was crucified, it was pointing to the covenant that they and us are about to enter into. And so now we get to just walk in the blessing of the heavy lifting that Jesus Christ did over 2,000 years ago. Amen. And so, Father, we thank you.